It's week two of our Christmas movie arc here on Foreplay, and after the absolute tragedy last week of Batman Returns, uh, I think we're safe for the rest of the films in this arc because Scrooged was the one that I was most doubtful about moving forward, but mm. I thought it was it was all right. I, I think It's a Wonderful Life and Tokyo Godfathers, very, very safe, very safe. I've seen those more yeah, recently. Sure. Uh, but coming up, Scrooged is going to be our film this week to discuss. It is a film directed by Richard Donner, who did Superman, the original Superman in the late 70s with uh, Christopher Reeves, and then Lethal Weapon, The Goonies, famously as well. So a pretty yep. accomplished director overall. And uh, this time he kind of teams up with Bill Murray on a modern take on the Christmas Carol story. Starring Bill Murray as a television executive in the late 80s, which is fun because it's like the cocaine executive era. And he definitely plays that up. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I was when, when it's kind of funny and I guess we'll get into it further down the discussion. But this is one of those movies where it's like it, it, it's you go on the Internet and you look at what people think of it. And it's very you know, the ratings are kind of average and, you know, it's like a six star movie in the eyes of a lot of oh, people. Okay. Uh, yeah. I was surprised. I think it's like 6.1 on IMDb. And yet from, I would figure this would be a classic. This is like a fucking yeah, movie. It holds it up mega well. that, that's the wild thing. Cause it's like, right. I think about people in my life that I've talked to when I go name your 10 favorite Christmas movies. Well, I mean, it's not going to make top five for anyone maybe, but like it's, it's always in their top 10 always like you know you know you get to like eight or nine and you're going on oh, scrooged with bill murray i mean it's like it's it's one of those you know tail end of the 80s movies and again i i always thought this movie was a little bit hampered it was a little bit neutered i i would guess by studio interference although when i was doing my research i couldn't find any articles about that beyond some quotes from the original script writers but um because it's on the it's on the borderline of being a brilliant meta comedy. And I think the only thing that, you know, is a detraction for me is it has this almost like SNL sensibility where it leans into, you know, slapstick and cheap humor in just a couple of bits. And I guess it's because if you take that out, it's a pretty fucking dark film for about 70% of it. Sure. You know, and, and, and I just think it's like, shit, this is a Christmas movie. The studios marketed this as, hey, it's Bill Murray versus ghosts again. Remember Ghostbusters? Bill Murray's taking on ghosts again. It literally said that in the original posters and uh, commercials for it. And I think they were just like, shit, this movie is pretty bleak right up until the end. So let's, uh, I know, let's, the, the the ghost of Christmas present is a fairy that kicks him in the nuts and here's some silly jokes, his Bobcat Goldthwaite with a shotgun. And, you know, that's the only thing for me, because as I'll get to, I've got some examples. I really think this movie, had it not been tampered with in that way, we would have got this very smart self-reflexive comedy that was sort of really ahead of its time. That's why I do think this movie has value, though, because it's one of those mm. movies where you can trick people. Like, what you say is you want to watch a Christmas movie, a fun one, and then you put this on, right? And the joke is, for half of it, they're going to think, like, the oh, fuck? And then, but it does have, like, a really, it does actually do a sort of It's a Wonderful Life, beautiful yeah. ending where they bring together all the stuff and it does have the Christmas cheer. Essentially, people know, like, this is another piece of Americana. This type of movie was classic to make in the 80s and 90s, where it's essentially, like, you know, even though the joke is the entire rest of the culture, just like corporate, corporate, all that matters is money, bills, independence. <laughs> then, they, then they have a movie where they gaslight you every Christmas. Like, but don't be a cunt. Just give all that up and be good to your family and that. And say, well, which is it? And then the joke is like the same people making the movie clearly push the lifestyle. They're now like, but don't do that. Say a bunch of movies. The joke is, by the way, here's the real like meta contextual analysis of this movie. Every cunt who works in Hollywood is the fucking Bill Murray guy. So they make a movie yeah. like this to go like, save yourselves. But of course, I'm going to have to stay locked in and get, you know, that fucking VP of product. 
job yeah. and they're going to have to work all night. But I'll tell you what, you guys shouldn't do it though. You should all go <laughs> home to your families. It's like, thanks for the lecture, Hollywood. But one thing I do think is cool, because I always do this, right, is it's a, it's a little trick, by the way, out there. If people have a raw romantic side and they want to watch a movie with their significant other, what you do is you get a movie like that one I recommended before, Happy Accidents, and you go, it's a romantic comedy with a love story. And it is, but spoiler, it's got a time travel component in it that makes it next level. So secretly, you've sort of like, it's the sugar to make the medicine go down. There's a real, there is some shit behind it. Because I agree, like, by the way, the best parts of this movie are just the Scrooge element. Like, they do an amazing job of picking someone. Because think about this. If you say, even that line sounds like some cancer meeting in the 80s in a fucking Hollywood exec studio. Let's update the story of A Christmas Carol. <laughs> yeah. The joke is, it's like what this movie starts as. It's like, what a stupid yeah. idea that is. But I tell you what, if you were going to do it, how would you make the modern Scrooge? That's what they've actually succeeded with. Like, the idea he hates yeah. Christmas so much. He has that commercial, like, war, death, like an, like an actual ear bomb just going on. That's what I mean about it being so close. I, I, and maybe this is what they were going for, but it's just because, like, me meta comedy doesn't really sort of take off until the 90s. Sure. Things get self-referential. People fuck around with established tropes. And, you know, by 1999, you get a film like Fight Club, which, you know, pretty much deconstructs how you tell stories through cinematic tropes. But, you know, like in the 80s, that wasn't there yet. And this is 88, you know, it's the end of the, it's the end of the decade. And I think, you know, like, think about it. It is about, so to update Scrooge, it is about a TV executive updating Scrooge, the story, uh, Christmas Carol. So he is having to do what the movie is doing simultaneously as we're watching it. And by the way, this movie, for, for a comedy, I think has one of the strongest well-written openings. The first 15 minutes to this film is so dense in terms of how it tells the story, how it sets up the characters, how it sets up the premise. It, it's a really biting satire. It's, you know, the, the, the opening scene is Danny Elfman music. You know, he does it all the time in the he's Christmas back. movies. He's back after last week. Yeah. He, was, he was here last yeah, week. Exactly. He's back this week. <laughs> Uh, Elfman's everywhere. It's is the season to be Elfman, right? But it's like they're doing that. It, it starts out like it's going to be a Christmas movie set in the North Pole with Santa Claus and the elves, and they're all there. And uh, anyway, it, it's not that because it's an action movie, and all these people come out and go, and you're like, what the fuck's happening? And then Lee Majors is there, and Santa Claus says, Go get him, Lee. You've been a good boy this year. And then it just cuts, and you're watching a movie promo for it's the so day the reindeer died. Yeah, it feels like a real movie yeah exactly and what it reminds me of is there were a lot of movies like you know it um what was that one with bullshit or not on it fuck i can't remember it was called like it came from something and there was kentucky fried movie was another example and there was okay. this like you know there was this playful you, you know referencing to all these you know stereotypes in the entertainment industry and it throws you straight into it and then what you realize is you're watching like a sizzle reel of all their Christmas programming for the TV network that Bill Murray's going to be on. And it ends with them promoting this modern update of, uh, you know, a, a Christmas carol with uh, with acrobats and dancers. And, 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 and you know, Bob Goulet's in there for a, a Cajun Christmas in the swamp and all this stuff. And it's, it's really so good. good, man. It's so yeah, good. It's, it's the such, start of this you know, film it... is really strong. It reminded me from our 80s vampire arc of the start of Fright Night 2, which dove right into the the B-horror frame narrative, right? By having mm -hmm. it focus on the TV at the beginning. But I just yeah. love how it immediately subverts your expectations. It's just so clever because you think you're getting into this Christmas film. And then, like you're saying, it turns out to just be a sizzle reel with a whole bunch of other hilarious garbage stacked into it. And at the end, you know, you, you kind of get the sense that, okay, here's all the new stuff that they would be doing in the modern era. But at the very end, mm -hmm. here is the classic... Dickens telling of a Christmas Carol, the period piece set in the 19th yeah. century with the leather bound book opening and the old man in the chair, like reading, serving as the narrator, a la masterpiece theater, famously, right? Turner so, classic movies kind of style as well. <laughs> sure. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, you know, it, it kind of runs the gamut of what would have been kind of possible in, 
1988 when this movie came out and does an excellent job of setting the tone because then you're just thrust immediately into the boardroom with Bill Murray as the executive in charge of programming, more or less just being a giant drunk asshole. Uh, to everybody there and, you know, aggressively questioning people, shitting on the work that they've done, saying that it needs to be more bold. And that's where he comes up with what Thorne was talking about earlier, which is this trailer that features drug users and atom bombs. It is just completely designed to shock people into not missing this event, right? Even though the I mean, thing that's advertised- says your life may depend <laughs> on it. <laughs> Don't miss Charles Dickens' immortal classic screw. Your life might just depend on it. Fucking Christmas Carol movie. Which, by the way, is great satire on media. Yep. You know, it's great satire yep. on media. As if, you know, because the satire is, here we're showing you all of these awful things. But the thing you can't miss is the feel-good story of A Christmas Carol on Christmas Eve. And it just goes to show that the media will sensationalize anything at all, right? Uh, and misadvertise anything at all. And we talked a bit about that with Total Recar last time, too, the way that the media has been operating. And, and there's a lot of satire about it in this time period, like late 80s, early 90s. By the way, yeah. this is also peak Bill Murray. This is when yes, he's actually a legit exactly. film star, but clearly gets to like ad lib and write like parts in the script himself and is just doing the Bill Murray character. Like the joke is if you like the movie Groundhog's Day, there is a 0% chance you will not like this movie. Essentially, sure. by the way, it's the same movie. Like, both his own personal development of the main character yeah. and the love interest is the same fucking movie. But I love that movie too. That movie also holds up, and that movie is straight <laughs> fire, so I'm totally in for the fucking... I'm buying the ticket. I'm in for the ride. And I actually... The joke is, my favourite part of this movie is all the part before he learns his lesson and matures as a person. <laughs> I just like when he's going around on a pure roast session, because he is just... Tearing the scenery up like he is clearly like ad-libbing stuff like he's he's so over the top with his physical comedy it is mental and then just think of some of the lines like you know I love to write down a classic quote so here are some yeah. real quotes from Got the movie a few as well I want to see her nipples you can see her nipples I want to see her nipples but this is a Christmas show. Well, Charles Dickens would have wanted to see her nipples then. There's a good one, out of context. <laughs> Brilliant. By the way, think about that. He's also the scumbag modern... Well, now it has aged badly because people are going, you should be allowed sexual freedoms. But at the time, he's the like degenerate fucking movie exec who's like, right, in this kid's thing about A Christmas Carol, uh, we want to see her her nipples peek out of the fucking, like, what literally looks like, a, you know, like a fucked up, like, not almost like burlesque fucking outfit oh, yeah. that you're wearing as a dancer on this fucking thing. And then also here's another good quote for you is when that guy says you know about how like you know you got about how you meet people on the way down that you met on the way up or whatever right or the, 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 it's that thing of like you know you got to be nice to people on the way up because on the way down you'll be hot. and he essentially says like no nah, it's brilliant like you get two chances to rough them up you can fuck them up on the way up and the way down which is just like oh. it's he plays the asshole characters so fucking well but the brilliance of this movie and Groundhog's Day is obviously if people don't know Bill Murray has insane charisma so when he wants to be the nice guy you, you totally believe that too he's actually got really good range people don't realize it in these movies yeah i mean just to go in as well for the quotables because i i agree i mean i think bill murray um you know he's he, like oh he owns the movie i mean it is very much a bill murray vehicle essentially although i think it's pretty rounded out with a good cast uh and some very interesting casting choices which we'll talk about uh in supporting roles but you know some of the quotables here there's the bit where he fires bobcat goldthwaite at the start and uh his uh his, his assistant goes it's christmas and he goes Thank you. This, Call I love this. Stop his bonus. I love that. Like, pure evil. Right. And then it's the way when she calls Richard, she just goes. But when she picks yeah, up, she just goes nine. like, code nine. And then put, it's yeah, all like he's just doing this in red. He's fired? But it's Christmas. Thank you. Call accounting. Stop his bonus. Ooh, a clear shot at his back. Elliot Loudermilk. Code nine. And then there's the bit where his assistant's son is on the set and he like grabs him and goes, what are you doing here? Do you want to answer some questions downtown? And she goes, that's my little boy. And he goes, all right, then you beat him. 
And it's just so They just fucking... leave it hanging as well. Zing, no one comments. Zing, zing. They're just hanging there and then they move you know. on. How'd you get in here? Well, maybe you'll answer some questions downtown, huh, my friend? What the hell is yeah. going on? This is my little boy. All right, you beat him. It's metal in it. Yeah, exactly. By the way, and, and, oh, more key. The, the oh. line as well where the guy's on fire and he said, like, referring to a real-life incident where Richard Pryor set himself on fire. Goes, I'm sorry okay. I thought you were Richard Pryor. That's what he says to the waiter that he puts out with, with the seltzer. I'm like, that's this good. is what I mean that's about it. It's like fucking... And, and, and these lines, by the way, in this movie are going so fast. If you're not paying attention, they're just on to the next thing. I mean, it, this is... This is why it had to be Bill Murray to do this role, like for sure. So, let by me... the way, if you oh, yeah, go on, do the premise. Yeah, let's. I mean, this premise mm. is going to be extremely quick, it's just, just it's, because it's it a is a Christmas Carol. Carol and guys, <laughs> yeah. guys, I'm not going to explain a Christmas Carol to you. Like, I'm not going to do that. Like, it, that shit's been out for 150 years. Like, figure it the fuck out at this point in time. So basically. We have this, the Scrooge character in this is obviously Bill Murray, who is this money-grubbing, very ambitious douchebag executive that you've heard the lines from now. Uh, he starts, and his his Bob Cratchit is his secretary, uh, whose name is what, Grace? Grace. Um, yeah. And it goes through all of the Christmas Carol tropes. Obviously, there is the ghost of Christmas past, who is a devilish uh, cabbie, like New York cab driver. Uh, the ghost of Christmas present is Carol Kane being hilarious as a fairy. And the ghost of Fr Christmas future is still a silent skeleton, which it always is. So that's just what you get. Um, effectively, his love interest that he lost, so this time is going to be a woman named Claire Phillips, uh, who works at a homeless shelter. And so that old love interest uh, comes back into this and he goes on the typical, you know, Marley meets Marley, who is his old mentor slash boss, which is a pretty funny turn as like an 1980s golf executive guy. I, I enjoyed the little bit with Marley coming back and kind of warning him. He goes through all of the ghosts, goes through exact same progression. Um, instead of his Scrooge's nephew, it's actually Bill Murray's character's brother, who is the relation who's having the Christmas party. And then at the end, uh, they are the, the undercurrent is that he is doing a live production on Christmas Eve of a Christmas Carol. So it's a Christmas Carol within a Christmas Carol. Uh, and he ends up on the set of the live version of the Christmas Carol takes over the live broadcast as it's going on and then has a very, very way too long speech at the end. And then everybody claps and sings a song. So there you go. And then, and then you're missing out as well, <laughs> continues to, to be sort of uh, almost a meta comedy because he then breaks the fourth wall while the titles are running on the show he's producing the titles are running on the movie you're watching and he addresses you directly as if you're singing along with everyone in the cast of the movie who are now singing christmas carols at the end then it cuts to black and then the titles are really rolling for real now on the real movie you're watching playing a much more overproduced version of the song they were just singing this is what i mean they flirted it with is the very meta shit and just didn't quite get there they just didn't quite get there for me by the way if when you watch this movie you, for the first time, get introduced to the character of Grace, the assistant's son, the black mm. secretary. If you don't hear that he's never spoken and that that's the problem and think, that's a weird Chekhov's gun to include. This surely <laughs> yeah. won't be fired. And you can't predict that he is at the end going to say, God bless us one and all, just shut, the, shut this down. Like what we're saying to you must just be like colors on a screen. Watches the screen. You know what I mean? You, you, you don't understand anything about narrative because that's one part that, this is why I like this movie, though, also. Because, see, you know, you know the fucking structure of the movie. It should be obvious. But it is just a fun ride. Like, one thing I yeah. even love, by the way, is even though it's just because it's a fucking 80s movie, yes, Bobcat Goldthwait is in this movie for no reason whatsoever. And if you don't didn't watch movies in the 80s and 90s, you're just going to think, why the fuck is this character who's ugly with a really weird voice in the movie? And let me just tell you, that's his job in Hollywood. His job is to be really ugly, to be the comedian, 
comedic relief and to go, hello, guys. <laughs> and just talk like that. Like, go watch Police Academy. Go watch all the movies you live in. By the way, all straight fire. Uh, partly because he's in them. Like, because the character he plays in this is so fucking stupid. It's just a guy basically getting perma wrecked the whole movie. Like that scene where, you know, it's like, you know, he's just finally getting like, oh, he's, he's, on, the, he's on the streets. So he's just about to drink like, a drink, like the black, you know, the black, but the brown, the brown bag. bag. But whatever, like, yeah. and then he gets covered with the water, and then the bottle falls out. It's like, <laughs> you stinky, yeah, you big dog, you. <laughs> like, even though it's the most low-grade slapstick humor, this guy was just a master at that style, and it is just funny. It does add a comedic relief. Normally, I'd think that's a bit whatever, but I actually even found that fun. I actually just think, in general, I would just describe this movie as fun. Like it's like a roller coaster. You know where it's going. You know the drills and spills. But like, yeah. I think the way they handle like the first ghost is fucking sick. And by the way, another example of a movie where obviously this guy did like Tales of the Crypt Keeper or whatever later. Like the fucking graphic, the physical effects are fucking baller on that first ghost. That looks great even to this day, in my opinion. Well, what's super interesting is about about the uh, ghost of Christmas past, the first ghost um, who is presented as the taxi driver. That is actually uh, the singer from New York Dolls. Oh, really? Okay, okay, that makes a lot of I mean, sense. Obviously, actually, because like they, if, if yeah. people don't know, they used to do the cross dress, obviously, in that group. So you, yeah. you never you never recognize him. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, D D David Johansson. And him and Bill Murray were friends. They were like New Yorkers, and they bonded okay. on the set. Bill Murray, which really makes those scenes. I think they're probably the best interactions on the movie, uh, outside of obviously Bill Murray with Karen Allen, because I mean she's like everyone's, you know, she's like your first crush if you watch those seventies. She's 80s the ultimate movie, girl you know? next door, you know what yeah, I mean? She, she yeah, was, exactly. I mean, you guys probably know her. The big door eyes. Oh, well, can't yeah. everyone just be nice in every movie, you know? And every everybody loved her. Everybody loved her <laughs> as well in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh yeah, Mar that's her best like, role. Yeah, as Marion yeah. Ravenwood, it's like in that one. Sm yeah. Just like yeah, so, slamming so, the shots at the beginning, it's great. Yeah, but the the, the interaction between uh, David Johansson and uh, and Bill Murray in the scenes where he goes back and he sees his family and all that stuff, there's like a, an intimacy there that definitely you could tell they had a good relationship on set. It was a very tough shoot apparently because like Richard Donner wanted to do everything. He filmed the movie as if it was a live production. And it really pissed Bill Murray okay. off because he was he, Bill Murray likes to go through the process of let's do a take I and I'll improv. Just tell me what you know what the rough like where we need to get to in the script, and I'll just do a few takes and then we'll we'll all go and get lunch. Um, and that's what he likes to do. But Richard Donner wanted to do it like super regimented, and he was like telling Bill Murray, "You've got to be loud, and you've got to be big, you've got to be over exaggerated, treating almost like it's a stage play." And they just fucking hated each other. Like apparently, they argued all the time on set. Bill Murray wasn't happy with the creative direction it was going in. He thought Richard Donner was stepping on his toes too much. And so him and David Johansson, David Johansson wasn't from that world, obviously being a punk singer. He like just said like, you know, fuck it, let's let you, you and me are just going to tear this movie up together. And apparently they were like super eccentric on set. They were like partying and stuff. And I think it really comes across like this. All the stuff with the ghost of Christmas past is excellent. I mean, again, really, really good and very well done. Good callbacks. It's well just, the, the pacing of it is just so good too and like it, i think it makes a lot more sense like i didn't know that he was the the singer of the new york dolls but it makes sense if you see it just because he is such a quintessential new york character right yeah. he just slots right into that role feels very authentically new york but even right off the bat like everything moves along at a very nice pace in those scenes and you know I think that's like the best slapstick bit in this whole movie happens right at the beginning when he just walks through the door and then Bill Murray just slams his head directly into the door afterwards. Just the prank that he's playing and the reaction of the ghost to the prank that he's played is just delightful. <laughs> that was a great joke. I love that bit. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really, really good stuff. And, you know, in terms of, like, modernizing the, the kind of the archetypes of the ghosts, one of the things I really like about this is thematically the script is very fucking strong because just to 
you know, paint in the broad strokes on Bill Murray's character, uh, which you find out via flashbacks, but also quite cleverly, you find out by just throwaway lines in, in the movie. I love this. I, I love that they just have throwaway lines about who Bill Murray is, like a character off the side will go, and you'll never guess what he did last year. And that's, and that's it. I don't need it. I don't need any more exposition than that. I know who he is from these little lines. And it really adds some color to the character. What's great about it is when they do those flashbacks, what you realize is this is a guy who his father was like really like, you know, hardworking guy, didn't have a lot of time for Christmas, didn't have a lot of time for family. And because of, you know, his mother was, you know, even though he loved her, you know, she was kind of aloof because of the home dynamic. And so Bill Murray was raised on the golden era of TV. And then suddenly you, and now he's the president of a network. And suddenly you start thinking about, Oh yeah, because who the fuck even in the eighties would be doing a live action holiday special like that god awful fucking Star Wars Christmas special? Is which of course was a running joke by this point is being so awful. George Lucas nuked it from fucking orbit, and you have to get pirate VHS tapes to even watch that now because it is so dreadful. But that's what Bill Murray's doing for this update of Scrooge. And obviously it makes sense from his character. He was raised by the Golden Age TV. He's watching The Lone Ranger. Then when he's asked by the Ghost of Christmas Past, and he says, garden slugs have had better lives than you. And he said, no, you're wrong, because what about this? And as he reels off his memories of his childhood, they're all TV shows he watched. Oh, to mention this, because the, the, the funniest line in the movie, in my opinion, is the one where he goes like, yeah, but what about that time when I was in, like, you know, exactly. some the Little House on the Prairie Homecoming and episode, goes, yeah. No, you're thinking of Little House on the Prairie, and he goes, yeah. was it the Homecoming episode? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, it's like, yeah. and it's like, you're right, his actual memories are just TV specials. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, that's and, actually and, hilarious. And, that was the little house on the prairie. Was it the homecoming episode? Of little yes, house? it was the homecoming episode of Little House. And, and and then it tells you a little bit more about how he started at TV. He was on children's TV, started out doing a children's TV show, you know, and he was like, you know, I'm, I must preserve the integrity of the Frisbee show. And it's just him dressing up as a dog running around. And he gets to meet the president of the network, the John Forsyth character that comes back at the start. And he, and he blows off uh, Karen Allen to go there. And that's the start of his, you know, journey up. And he, all the time, he's while he's going through this experience, he's monologuing a lot. And he's monologuing about like you know I you know I I I I'm a widow because I'm a widow through business. I choose to live this way. Sure, I made some bad choices. Sure, it gets lonely. You know, just on the weekends though. And like he, he you know he's fucked up his entire life pursuing something that's really empty and vacuous. And even and and because of a love of TV, which was a you know an insert for his parents' love, and what they do in the flashbacks, every flashback is told through a tv screen when they do the fade ins the fade outs the fades to the future it's like it's really clever man it, like the framing device for the visitations from the ghost through that lens this is what i mean this is like a really good script that i just think ah they just fucked it up a little bit with some of the more like slapstick nonsense I, it just I, didn't not... need to be there I didn't mind the slapstick nonsense so much. Like, I think it adds some levity. My problem is, like, as much as you start feeling for this character, the so when we talk about the original Christmas Carol, right, in most representations of a Christmas Carol, the Scrooge character kind of, you know, you get to see more of a slow transition. Mm. I think one yeah. of the big problems with this film is that it, the, the transition is at the very end and it is so abrupt because mm. when we when we talk about when we talk about like what actually happens in terms of the Bill Murray character arc, it's that he even after he sees the ghost of Christmas present, he goes back to Karen Allen, Claire, and then he wants to be with her because he had all these memories of the, the past, right? And so he goes into the present and he wants to be with her and she's working at the homeless shelter, but he basically says to blow off the homeless people and that these they're not worth spending time with. And he just kind of misses the whole point. And there isn't anything, there isn't sort of a slow change in his perspective. It only happens, and quite frankly, kind of bizarrely, when he sees himself being cremated at the end 
And then all of yeah. a sudden he's full of holiday cheer to the degree that he has to go and put insert himself I mean, into this live also, production. There is also happening. the one where he meets like the the homeless guy from the shelter and he's dead and all yeah, frozen underground. Sure. Sort of that bit is all to foreshadow it. Yeah, but it it really just feels very rushed. And I think that's one of the main issues with this film is that for everything that it sets up, like I'm totally with you guys. I love the 80s retelling of this. I love the analogies they, they made. I love the meta commentary. I love the Christmas Carol within a Christmas Carol within a Christmas Carol, like Christmas Carol inception of this. You know what I mean? But mm. the problem is, is that the ending is such an unsatisfying conclusion to his story arc. And honestly, the ending is, I think it's pretty badly written. It is really long winded in terms of the direct, the direct address to anybody. And I don't even think is a very compelling capstone to Bill Murray's character because he it's almost like a deus ex machina, like Thorin mentioned with the tiny Tim character saying, yeah, God yeah. bless us, everyone. And it's not like he did anything. You know what I mean? In in A Christmas Carol, the, the end is this of A Christmas Carol, right? Which is that he wakes up from his dream and then all of a sudden he starts to try and fix all of the problems, right? It's Scrooge goes and says, get the biggest goose and send it to Bob Cratchit's house. And then he goes and buys toys for all the kids. And you get an extended sequence of him doing good actions. And we never yeah. see that. In this movie, we just see him saying, like, can't believe you're watching TV, guys. Go do something with your family. And he's just talking and not doing anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, I, I, I get you're right. You're absolutely right about that. That part is where it doesn't align with the traditional telling of this story, because essentially it's about a very selfish wealthy person being presented with you used to be better a better person in the past here's where we're at now and these are all the things you don't know about the people in your orbit and this is the terrible future you're on course for unless you change i mean that's the fundamental you know aspect of the dickens well, story and, and and so scrooge at the end as you say does all this it, it, it's it's about turning a selfish person into fundamentally an altruist and using wealth which is another key component of it which isn't really explored in this movie but using wealth for good which was a very you know dickensian recurring you know kind, kind of theme but you know it, it, what i will say is uh I, I thought it was kind of interesting because if you look at it the way that it is they're watching the tv that he's telling them not to watch as the TV man sermonizes about how you should get away from the TV and go and do something good. And everyone at home is going, oh, yeah, we should do that now that the TV's told us. That. I don't know. But, I, but I, no, no, you, Richard, but here's the problem. Here's the problem is so here's the fundamental underlying issue with telling people not to watch the TV in this case, because we, the audience, are watching the TV why? Yeah, but what I'm saying to, is to have I a think... revelation. So Bill Murray is trying to have a a human revelation, which is exactly the same thing that the story of a Christmas Carol is trying to do. So yes. you can't say watch this movie and have the same revelation as a Christmas Carol, but don't watch a Christmas Carol. Watch Bill Murray interrupting a Christmas Carol for the same ending of a Christmas Carol. It's fucking but, but, weird. But, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. If you think about the movie and and let's and I'm not saying they were doing this, but what I'm saying is I can almost read that as kind of another aspect of the satire present in this film. And 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 that is that yeah, I mean it's it's patently absurd. We're watching a big budget, you know, Christmas movie starring Bill fucking Murray, where in it Bill Murray tells you to not watch things because you should be out there doing good. Like so, I, I I'm not. I don't know if that was baked in, but because everything else is constantly flirting with this meta narrative, and some of it very profound. Like the character that comes back uh, is an actor called John Forsyth, and when he's giving his speech to Bill Murray about how being a TV executive doesn't matter. I used to be the man. I had all the women. I had I had all this and now I have I now I have nothing. I, I was I had a heart attack on a golf course and I'm dead and I was worm food. And so that's John Forsyth giving that speech. John Forsyth was big in the 50s. He taped it off in the 60s and then outside of and justice for all in like whatever the fuck that was 70 something late 70s. He 
didn't work. He he did fall off. It was all for nothing. And I'm going, I'm watching this movie now. I don't know, maybe it hits different because I'm staring into my own fucking midlife crisis, right? Because we're of that age now. You watch this when you're a kid. It's ha-ha funny ghosts, nutcracker sweet, all that stuff. You watch it in your 20s. Fucking hell, I'd love to be a piece of shit like Bill Murray, me. <laughs> and then you're watching it in your fucking late 30s, early 40s, and you go... Oh, I've wasted my life. So I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I, I think I, I think this what? movie we is going. We talked about video some... games, Richard. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, don't you do it, Christopher? You are the ghost of Christmas Present. <laughs> no, just, I, I, that's actually yeah. why I think that this movie also works as a retelling. Because if who the fuck ever what watched a Christmas Carol and identified with Ebenezer Scrooge? He's that the one, yeah, one of the least did. relatable characters ever in a story. So you, when you watch A Christmas Carol, you watch it like you watch the old good Disney movies. Like, this is the good character. This is the bad character. Oh, no, the bad character is keeping down the good characters. Oh, I hope there is a transformation, blah, blah, blah. Right? No one ever relates to that character. You can relate to Bill Murray in this one. Essentially, by the way, anyone in corporate America at the time would relate to him. Like, all the shit his dad says is the sort of, like, mantra, the internal philosophy that kept, like, grind culture going. Is the idea of like, you know, if you're actually a good employee, of course you stay in overtime, whether you're getting paid it or not, because don't you want to make it? Aren't you a winner? Aren't you part of our family? What do you mean you're going home to your family? Like, what about doing this? Like, you know, when you're going off doing that is when the guy who stays gets the promotion and he gets the job you want. And essentially, you could even tie in, there's almost like a Faustian element because you are just giving everything in your life up for either, could be money in this particular case, it's sort of like status within a corporate structure, whether you then feel like you have power etc. But the joke is like Faust, like to what end though? Because essentially you lose everything that actually matters in life. You gain just worldly trinkets and you lose essentially your soul. And if people don't know, there's many retellings of Faust. One of the most popular ones isn't that at the end he's just damn tell and it's like, oh, don't do that. At the end of one of them, essentially, he just sort of realises that it was all fucked up and it was all for nothing and he like, commits his life to like charitable deeds and and doing good in the world, etc. which is kind of what they're trying to hit at the end of this Allude to it, yeah. Also, I also thought another thing that ties into what we were talking about at the beginning is I do think this is like the player, Richard. I think this is something where it's clearly people exactly in the industry what I was thinking. trying to wink like that. Because another yeah. thing that's mad is not only is this the perfect example of like the Hollywood corporate exec in the A's, but two aspects. One, it's that whole sequence that doesn't have to be in the movie where it's just explained to him that dogs and cats are going to be watching, so we should start trying to get them hooked as viewers. That is exactly the sort of stupid focus group thing that is going on to this day in well, Hollywood. They're, actually, and then they're angle, actually doing that now. Yeah. I've no doubt. Yeah, and then the other yeah. angle like that is when he wigs out because he's seeing the eyeball in the glass and all that shit inside the restaurant and someone on fire. The joke is, the reason why that is, like, in a normal movie, if that's he's a doctor, right, you're immediately taken off. This is a high-stress job. You're clearly losing mm. it again. No, no. The joke is, because he is a mega high high exec in the 1980s when they're all on cocaine, living the most outrageous lives ever as a stress relief. The assumption just is it's just stress. He's got a very stressful job. And if or you drugs. don't know how movies worked back then, because if you spend $10 million and a dickhead walks off the set and the movie isn't made, you have burned that money in a hole. They would put up with anything at that era. If you're a star, you can be in the trailer wigging out. As long as on camera, we get the fucking cut. It's all good. Essentially, in this scenario, like the joke is as long as he's hitting his deadlines, they will literally overlook him like screaming doing some mad over the top acting so yeah. there's even a, a, like sort of a commentary in this about how like just like it's well, expected that you'd have high stress and just be like falling apart if you do that job you know they're not going to show the hard drugs in a movie like this obviously yeah. but you know they do a very good job of implying to you the audience just how fucked up this guy is at all times because one of my favorite things is just the silent thing that happens in this movie is it starts with him pouring like a tumbler of like half a glass of vodka and then like some of a can yeah. of tab and by the end guys he's pouring literally a whole tumbler full of vodka and like a splash of tab just like Shoxy Red Bull if anyone comes to especially on the Shoxy Red Bulls yeah, he is. <laughs> um, get this get this here's another reason why I think it is just mega meta commentary throughout right so in that scene that Duncan's talking about where Robert Mitchum again fantastically casted as the insane that he's know, this, isn't it, TV executive yeah brilliant brilliant I mean I love love Robert Mitchum you know, like, and, and anyway, he uh, he he says, now, how, do you know how many cats there are in America? And he's like, I don't have those numbers to answer. And he said, no, it's like 26 million. You know how many dogs? It's 38 million. We spent 4 billion on uh, pet food alone in this country. We're going to make programming for cats and dogs because it 
20 years, they could be long-term viewers. And Bill Murray goes, absolutely, I'll get right on it, sir, and takes the document. And then Robert Mitchum suggests, he goes, you know, are there any mice in a Christmas carol? What about a detective whose gimmick is he dangles a bit of string like Kojak with his lollipop, right? But then in the next scene, when John Forsyth comes back, inexplicably, there's a hole in his head and a mouse pops out and starts playing with a ball. And then there's a bunch like, as that scene ends before Bill Murray passes out, there's a bunch of like rapid jump cuts where you can see the mouse like jumping around and that. And I'm going, they did the fucking thing. They just did the fucking thing that they said they were going to, they made pro, they baked programming for cats into it. The scene after they talked about programming for cats. There's no way that's a coincidence. Because why, why does that need to be there? Why is the mouse playing with a golf ball? It can't just be we wanted to show that he was dead. Bill Murray empties a clip into him. I know he's fucking dead. So I, I don't know, dude. Like It's like I say, I, I think this movie, it got up to the line of like true way ahead of its time greatness in the same way as you said, you know, the the, the player did. And it, it it just didn't quite get there. I, I think they it got doesn't too stick frightened. the landing, man. Like the the yeah, ending yeah, no, just agree. is so weird. It's only it's only a very good movie. It's not a great genre blending, mind bending, you know, meta comedy progenitor movie that it could have been. I agree. I agree. And even even with all that said, the scene where he is being actually cremated is straight fire and will stick with you forever. Like yeah. I, the second oh, yeah, I saw yeah. that, I instantly yeah. remembered that whole like location, the way he goes, the way it's even mm-hmm. shot. Like it, it's actually also, by the way, a pretty well put together movie. Like like you say, yeah. it doesn't drag the pacing's good. It does everything it needs to do. I thought it was pretty well put together. Yeah. Richard Donner's just yeah. a good director. Yeah, well, I mean, look, about that, about Richard Donner, because he's probably one of those directors who is, like, largely forgotten, um, always had a fantastic eye for a set piece. One of my, one of of my, he's definitely in there as, like, one of my, uh, not, I'm not going to say favorite directors, but low-key, like, a director I've always respected, because obviously he did The Omen. And The Omen is one of the the first one is one of those movies which man that shook me as a kid. My mother used to do all sorts of fucked up stuff when it came to letting me watch movies I shouldn't be watching. I saw like Don't Look Now and like the fucking Omen before I was like ten. I was like absolutely just, ah, like brain broken. And obviously you think about the set piece in The Omen with the sheet glass cutting that dude's head off or the the fucking uh, thing falling off the church and you know, hit, killing him in the graveyard. Richard Donner suits, shoots amazing set pieces. This movie's full of them. This movie is full of them. The, the the bit with the Ghost of Christmas Future, really well shot, quite scary, you know, like when he opens up the, the cowl and there's all the lost souls trapped fighting for space between his ribs. Uh, which and then they make it a joke at the, the end. end. Yeah, they well, shouldn't have done that. They're, they're all drinking <laughs> eggnog or something at the end. Yeah, 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 like, what the fuck, man? It's the sort of, you know, Muppets Christmas Carol tech thing that I mm. love, though, at the end with that silliness. Like, exactly, I know the idea. They're all vibing I love as well. Like, Christmas oh, the Grim Reaper's in on it, too. Loving it. Oh, Christmas, yeah, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, was, was a little bit silly. But, you know, but I mean, like, I think Richard Donner... Um, I'm trying to think because, like, it was. I, I want to say it kind of feels like after once he got into the 90s, it was kind of downhill, unfortunately. You know, did Superman huge, did the Goonies huge, did the Omen huge, did the Lethal Weapon series. Everyone forgets huge. that one, mate. Have you never noticed though? Yeah. Every big action series, the director's yeah. legend, no one fucking remembers he did Lethal Weapon. I know, they just, I know. just think Gibson somehow did it. He's yeah. an actor or something. I mean, he, did, he did, did Maverick did too. All did all four. Yeah, Maverick is a she weird did one. She did movies with uh, Mel yeah. Gibson. She did that Conspiracy Theory yeah. one, which is a pretty good conspiracy one, actually. Conspiracy Theory as well. It's and it's unique. like, you know, you, you know what? Like, put it this way. I, I will say with, like, maybe one or two exceptions in his oeuvre, uh, I don't hate, I don't, I can't think of a Richard Donner movie I hate. You know, I can't like even some of my favorite directors have churned out like a piece of shit that I'll just never watch again. You know, but like a, a Richard Donner movie is it's it's very appropriate for this for what this movie is trying to achieve as a satire about the entertainment industry because you know this should be a sensitive drama, a retelling of a Christmas Carol where a naughty TV executive learns a lesson about life and altruism. Now, nah, fuck you. Here's a big set piece with death, and here's like fucking you know. Remember, he still has to shoot. 
that shootout at the start in Santa's Grotto. He starts to film that, right? It's 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 not just there. He didn't just pull it from the archives, like Kiss Saved Santa. You know, you know what I mean? He had to shoot that. And so this movie is actually, there are moments in it where it is shot like a very typical 80s your blockbuster film it's got that feel to it. it's got that quality it's got that sheen but actually it's it's a sort of it's a, at, at its heart it's a sort of a sweet little comedy that shouldn't be as well produced as it is it's I like mean, it's a super interesting film you know my my other issue with the the tone of this film is that you know the 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 Bobcat Goldthwait character spends the entire movie just being a sad sack and then being the yeah. you know the butt of a bunch of slapstick comedy jokes, and then he comes in at the end and is actively trying to murder Bill Murray with a shotgun. Yeah, I don't uh, know how his story ends. So realistically, so you know while we're, <laughs> I, I think it's just very totally odd that while we're getting treated to Bill Murray on camera having this extended monologue about the value of Christmas, we simultaneously know that Bobcat Goldthwait's character is holding people hostage in a production control room with a shotgun because he was told to by Bill Murray's character. So it's yeah, just... often a San Monty. That's a classic Hollywood theme where it's okay to take, like, for example, like John Q, you can just take a, ho a whole hospital hostage if you really are doing it for the right reasons. And at the end, <laughs> you will, in, in real life, totally, guys, definitely believe this. This is not legal advice. You will just be forgiven because ultimately it is a movie and everyone saw your POV. So what you did was justified. So at the end of the day, you were the main character all along. <laughs> when he has that shotgun inside, that is just like, this should almost be darker than it, they're putting it on us. They're just making this like it's cool. Like, this is mad that he essentially just but, tell him, like, I'll blow your head off but, and take us but off. But here's, like, here's the thing. They actually need that in there because it's the only reason they wouldn't turn off the live feed when Bill Murray yeah. ruins the special. So you actually do need a reason. And so they cover the plot hole with it. Unfortunately, the thing that they cover the plot hole with is like very deeply uncomfortable and also just makes you wonder what the fuck happens when they turn off that Bro. camera and the police arrive and then all of this gets untangled. Because then you're just like, well, listen, I guess the newspaper headline the next day was psychotic listen, TV executive takes over studio with, you know, gun-toting madman and broadcasts bizarre Christmas message to New York City. Like, I, oh, it listen, doesn't that's end well. Definitely what, what happens is Bill Murray's character obviously gets away with it. He's great. He has a turn of heart. We all understand that. It's just that this deranged law nutter who used to work there, he, he gets everything pinned on him as the patsy. Bobcat Goldthwait does go to prison, definitely. And then that's just, you know, you got to break a few eggs to make an omelette. What can I tell you? You know, yeah. Not everyone's going to make it through a Christmas it, carol at the end it's, of the day. It's, wor it's, worth it for, it's worth it for world peace. And love money. Uh, no, but like, okay. But, but, like, uh, but put, put it this way: I, I, you've seen it plenty of movies. You know that at this particular time across the eighties and nineties, <laughs> this is a trope in and of itself. <laughs> the guy, the guy who goes, "Quick, we must stop him! Turn off the TV!" And then the guy walks in with a good, "Don't touch that dial." <laughs> like, that's like a fucking trope, dude. That happens like a billion love times it. in movies from this I time know, in. I love that's it. happens in fucking Running Man. I want to <laughs> say like Halloween Three flirted with that idea with the fucking signal for the silver shamrock masks. It's like, I uh, no, I'm missing a ton of them. But yeah, the idea of someone, oh, I will, we will stop, we will stop the signal, and the truth won't be known. Don't touch that, down, motherfucker. It's a, it's a classic. Everyone does it. And, and it's another reason why I think even if the end is bad, it's actually bad. I'm not again. I won't go deliberately. You always get triggered if I say that. It's bad on purpose. That's the fright night defense. No one likes it. But I'm just gonna say, like, I think they were going for something else here. I, I do. I I think like yeah. Cause think about that premise. Bill Murray's had a complete 180. Oh, isn't that good? He's learned his lessons. Oh, no, he's manipulating a psychologically damaged man to hold everyone hostage <laughs> while he proselytizes on TV in another narcissistic showering. It's like it, it's like people who go, oh, thank you, you got me out of the right-wing pipeline. Now I have gone down to the left-wing pipeline. And it's like, <laughs> no, the whole point is don't brazenly follow any dogma and fucking think for yourself. Bill Murray ain't doing that. He's still traumatized over the fucking crematorium scene. So, you know, I, I, I think, and I always give movies too much credit if I like them, I guess. 
but uh, I, but I I actually I, I thought this was great. I mean, put it this way: compared to the horror of realizing that everything we thought we knew about Batman Returns was a lie, <laughs> and nostalgia is the most powerful mind-altering. Oh, this subject. was the pick me up I needed, mate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree with it. This this was yeah. the ultimate palate cleanser. Thank God. Um, yes. Yeah, I had a lot of fun with this. I mean, fun is the right word. I think. Yeah. I think. I think you know it's probably it's probably a smart choice to include silly little things. Like I don't really like uh, can't remember a name. Is it Carol Kane who plays? The I fairy? love Carol Kane. I love Carol Kane in this. I think she's great. Yeah, I didn't. Re- I don't know. Again, I have I have issues with like slapsticky stuff, and it feels like a relic of the SNL stuff. Uh, Bill Murray's great with physical comedy. But, but obviously, you, you, and- you also have to remember that like even Carol Kane's insertion into this movie because she's a legend from the Taxi television show that took place in. It's like a quintessentially New York TV show, right? So her appearance in here makes thematic sense with kind of the rest of the casting that we've discussed. And this is just who Carol Kane is. She's like weird with a weird voice and she's quirky. And I think I think she's actually one of the the more entertaining parts of the movie. I'll check my records. She made me do furries. Oh, yeah, probably. Oh, probably. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps. I'm almost positive. Yeah, maybe. I, again, I don't like the whole, you know, kick you in the balls, head, but you slap you. It gets a bit three fucking stooges for me, and I never liked that. But it, it's probably deliberate. Because again, Richard Donner obviously has fucking start a lethal weapon. Fucking, you know, uh, Riggs is fucking doing it. <laughs> when he pulls the fucking gun on him so i guess richard donner was a three stooges fan but i I, you know i i i don't like that i think that stuff's like it's a childish throwback but probably again because i'm going to give the movie too much credit probably deliberately so because it's really about the golden age of tv deep down there's loads of one-liners and references in this by the way uh like you know when he when he put put, when he's like on the set fighting and he goes just like errol flynn and you know, there's loads of like references to the golden age of TV, like super subtle. Like, just but that's it. what Carol Kane is, is. She is a reference to the golden age of TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, right. I get that. I get that. It's just, it's just what she's doing. I don't like. I, I don't. I don't vibe with. Like, you didn't have to make the ghost a Christmas present. Who ultimately, maybe out of all of them, is telling the most profound part of the visitations because it's where he realizes, oh, you know, my 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 own assistant Grace. You know, she has a child who saw his father get murdered and it's traumatized him and he doesn't speak, you know, and 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 he starts to real and, and you know, oh, there's my brother. And, you know, he's made me this wonderful gift. And, you know, here they are playing like, you know, Trivial Pursuit or whatever, you know, and it's like, you know, like, I think the profundity of that segment is diluted by the silly. I'm going to headbutt you and I'm a girl thing. Like I just didn't really. I don't know. I, for me, that and the end are the two weakest parts of the movie, but not in a way where I'd go, I'm turning this off or anything. Like, it's not like, you know, it, ultimately, the, 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 the Bill Murray roller coaster, the Bill Murray Express is so good that who sure. gives a fuck if there's like some little tonal distractions? Um, and the opening is so strong, it really draws you into the film. You know, you want to know what, what journey Bill Murray's about to go on, right? Like, because even though he's a piece of shit, he's such a charismatic piece of shit. You you want to know. You want to know where he's going to end up. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, this for, for me, I, I was surprised with all the sixes. Uh, I also, hang on, let me, I got the Roger Ebert. <laughs> I feel like six <laughs> is dead on for he, this movie, I'm frankly. I guess he likes this. I'm going to think he gives it like three stars. Is that, is that, is that where we're at? Uh, so, yes, that. what do you think? Uh, okay. Well, let me let me. Hang on, sorry, I, I meant to have the link open, uh, ready to go, but I, I, I kind of came a bit tardy to this one. Uh, so no, he uh, long long story short, Roger Ebert didn't really like this movie, uh, and he said, uh, "Where's the where's the quote?" Um, uh, oh, fuck, hang on. I gotta get this. Sorry, go make another point. I'll be, I'll be with you. Like, we, we can I'll make a final point on the meta-ness of this movie that I find kind of odd, which is like you know the 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 kind of old entire joke now about how people in zombie movies like don't know what zombies are, so they they can't like identify what is actually going on because apparently mm. the concept of zombies don't exist in their fictional universe. You know what I mean? And I yeah. I feel like what's so weird about this film is that it's almost the same thing here where 
Bill Murray's character doesn't understand the concept of Scrooge's ghosts in A Christmas Carol, except we know he knows about A Christmas Carol because he's making A Christmas Carol. So it just feels even weirder that he uh, is confused about that. what's going on. But with the ghost of Christmas past, he goes, yeah, 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 it's a time travel thing. But And you're yeah, going to sure. make me cry. Sure, but that comes later. And it shouldn't he have recognized it, I don't know, immediately when this whole thing started right so i've got the roger ebert review now so i don't know duncan is going to blow you away right you know how he's got the four star scale one star holy moly <laughs> roger ebert strikes again the fourth <laughs> member of this podcast from beyond the grave doling out bad reviews what's going on roger i'll read you the quotes scrooged is one of the most disquieting unsettling films to come along in quite some time uh, you <laughs> really i don't know what the, yeah for real what, what, what really, out of all the films he watches professionally this is the one where he's like truly this shook the foundation yeah. of my soul he, he what said, it was obviously intended as a comedy but there is little comic about it and indeed the movie's overriding emotions seem to be pain and anger this entire production seems to be in dire need of visits from the ghost of christmas itself and then he ended with saying uh the worst part you can't badmouth the christmas carol all the way through which i don't think the movie was doing i don't that. think it does uh, and then it, and then expect us to believe the good cheer at the end in his studies of dickens in preparation for this role, Murray seems to have read only as far as Bar Humbug. That was his review. Roger also a terrible piece one... of writing, frankly. <laughs> I, I, I know, I know. Listen, people don't want to hear it because he died and everything. And he did, you know, he, he did do a lot for movie criticism. He was a fucking hack. Like, he was an actual hack sure. and a fraud and a hack fraud. I want it on record. You can't give this movie one star. That's outrageous. Oh, That's so out yeah, of pocket. That That's is weird. so out of pocket. Like, <laughs> like so. to me, this movie is a strong seven out of ten. It's not an amazing piece of film, yeah, but it's a strong seven out it. of ten. Um, and, and do you know what? It, the, the seven feels bad because it really flirted with an eight and a half or a nine. What you like, mean? Yeah. Like if they really, had, if they'd leaned into that, like sort of the player satire element more, it could have been a yeah. genius film. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you know, and and, and, and another layer to it. That that's where you probably do need a more visionary kind of director than maybe Donna, because I wouldn't describe oh, Donna as a like visionary. this was like a Terry Gilliam movie, it yeah. would fucking bang. I'm telling True. you. Yeah, yeah, actually, actually would. And by the way, if you look at some of his other stuff, like Baron, you know, Baron Munchausen, perfectly within his wheelhouse yeah, to I do agree. a movie like this. Yeah, yeah he would um, kill it. Yeah, I've got uh, a there couple was one... of notes. Here's yeah, two quick on. things. I've got a couple as well. Even though she's not in the movie much, I actually do think Alfred Woodward, who is the black secretary yes. woman, who, who's been yeah. in one million movies, you've definitely seen her loads of times. She essentially is like the female version of Morgan Freeman. Like, are they ever bad in a movie? Don't they just always no. do their job to a <laughs> good level? You can even imagine they're just typecasting that way because she. if you want someone to play like sort of the, the fucking down on their look mother secretary who has a mother and an instinct even to an arsehole like oh she just nails it just nails the tone yeah. completely put perfectly done a great reaction when the kid does the shit at the end and then the yeah, other thing I thought interesting there, actually don't know just to, just to talk on, about that yeah. point a little bit it really does add something to the movie that she doesn't hate him it really helps bob cratchit doesn't hate scrooge Bob Cratchit yeah. actually defends yeah. Scrooge to his family who is shit-talking Scrooge. And, like, so he's... I think it's actually core to the story that the secretary character... So yeah, Bob Cratchit fair. is Scrooge's yeah. secretary. It is core to the story that Bob Cratchit, the person closest, or Grace in this case, the person closest to the Scrooge character, believes that they can be redeemed. Also, yeah, her yeah, name is literally Grace. Just look up what the yeah. word grace means. Yeah, absolutely. Right script, absolutely. You know? Yeah, yeah. Very much. What was your what was the other point, sorry? Just a quick one, but it's one of those mm. things I love of how stupid things are that are visual language that you immediately know what it means and you just accept it. So the way, remember, without technology, the way they make Bill Murray really young, just do his mm -hmm. hair, like he's just come out the shower, yeah. all like I was crazy back then. Same exact guy, totally like seeing his settings all same. We've got a really massive budget for this. Just get his hair, just fuck it up with some like gel. It's like, 
Oh, bloody hell, I'm young Bill Murray now. I love it. I just love that you you see it and you go, is that really what they're doing? I just accept it. Yeah, all right. Well, right, I'm in. Is, I'm in. Just uh, go on. Go on. <laughs> there is every type of bad 80s haircut in this film, I love to it. be fair. Yeah, absolutely every type. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, this is just another point, and I couldn't work it in naturally to the conversation, but for, for the people watching, they might be interested in this. One of the things that I was fascinated uh, by when I was doing the research for it was the screenplay writer, the original screenplay writer hated the finished version of the movie. And the quote is, uh, we wrote a fucking masterpiece, referring to him and his other uh, co-writer. Uh, we wrote It Happened One Night, obviously the classic uh, movie. Uh, we wrote a story that can make you laugh and cry. You would have wanted to share it with your grandchildren every fucking Christmas for the next 100 years. The finished film was a piece of un unadulterated, unmitigated shit. That was his take Wow. On it. The guy who wrote the screenplay, and that's like a pretty fucking strong condemnation. And this is another Who's reason why Roger I. Ebert's best man. <laughs> yeah. no, he actually agrees with Roger Ebert, yeah. But like, so uh, not even Siskel agreed with him. But you know, so but I, I think um, it, it, this is why I'm inclined to believe that actually there was a better film in there somewhere and oh, it's for just sure. for what for the whatever reason they did focus group the fuck out of it and probably put all cynical shit in yeah, sure yeah exactly exactly and, and the and joke is, here's, what, here's what my guess would be i'll even guess something mad like the main movie exists but then they really did just like he got to the set like oh we're filming today and then like mm. bobcat goldflake comes in like Ooh. Who's he playing then? And like that character's just inserted or something. You know what I mean? Like, it's like I say that it's just a character that guy played in. Me. Yeah. Like, I could easily no, believe I, they did all sorts here, of shit to this movie. Here's, I think, I think that one thing that they could have changed is like, clearly there could have been a darker ending to this movie or a more satirical or edgy ending where it wouldn't have been the whole feel good long speech singing dance sing song and dance number that it's at the end like there is definitely a way to end this movie that keeps the satire intact and makes it even more biting and perhaps well, i'll tell you what it is i'll tell you how i would have ended this movie he has the epiphany he's had the ghosts he's had the visitations he gets live on the set he's doing all the bit where he's like oh yeah there's one girl i love she comes running to the studio. That's when Bobcat Goldthwait comes in with a shotgun, blows his fucking brains out on live TV, end of the movie. There's your fucking Christmas movie right there. <laughs> Just as he wakes up and has the epiphany, Bobcat comes in and kills him, gets arrested. It's all me. That's, that's, that's your film. Be, it that's, would be interesting. <laughs> yeah. More people will be talking about it, mate. Get I didn't know you were going to go with that ending, though, because I thought you were going to go with this is like another plausible ending you could do mm. is to make it truly a hilarious joke on itself. At the end, after the credits finish running, it cuts and it's a scene with him with his boss. And then his boss goes, you know what? <laughs> I was wondering where you were going with that. But that was genius. Here's an yeah, yeah. even bigger promotion. And for Easter, I want you to do something really special. And then he goes sort of like, hmm. And then, you know, it's like the phone's ringing. It's that woman. He's just like, tell her I'll call back. And it's like the yeah, idea is no. he never learned anything after all. Yeah, it's I like that, just TV in it, you know? I, I love that one. Because the whole thing is that he was it's, already trying to do the... Yeah, it, but he, yeah, if he was, he was already <laughs> trying to do the extreme thing in terms of advertising this, and I think he he accidentally makes much must watch TV, and then has to cynically top himself later. I agree. I think yes. that's the actual ending, man. I think I think that would be great. Because as Listen. I say, I do think part of why these movies are allowed to be made, because it's like the concept that people don't understand of like, why would a system that you agree is like oppressive and propagandizes you, why would it let in like rebel forces like to come right in, like on a Death Star run and destroy it with whatever it might be, let's say cryptocurrency or something, all these things that people think, oh, it's the, that's the rebel. It's like, why would they allow it though? So in the same way, why would Hollywood make a movie where it's about don't watch TV? Also, corporate culture, including Hollywood culture, is corrupt and terrible and bad for humanity and essentially everyone who just does this instead of their family is a piece of shit i think like i say it's like a fucked up way of them getting it off their chest and sort of being like but i did warn everyone else though like don't mm. be like me oh shit oh you're gonna have to just blow me i guess i can't go home tonight like oh but this is terrible oh i wish i had a fight you know it's like they, there is almost an insincere little bit to the movie where it's like you don't really believe this guy it's like the joke is you would like have the guy walk in after you made this movie pretending it's all heartfelt but then you also get back to the office 
Christmas on Monday. And then the guy goes, loved what you did with Scrooge. Scrooge 2, when's it coming out? Easter. And this time it's personal. You know, like, they would just do that. Yeah. Like, that would literally be what these people would do. So, like, there was an aspect to me where I almost thought, like, the joke's sort of on the people who made the movie as well. Because it's like, you are just this system, though. Like, I don't really buy <laughs> that you really... Like, you're just doing this to get it off your well, chest. Because, you like, at the end of the day, that is corporate culture, isn't it? You've actually nailed it. If we merge both our endings, it is actually the perfect movie. Bill Murray gets killed at the end, live on TV. Everyone's sad about it. But then it cuts to Robert Mitchum and that guy who was Bill Murray's understudy going, Oh, the no, LA guy. Right. All right, I'm in How it. I'm into this. Top that? How yes. are we going to talk about next okay, year? Okay, I like this. How are we okay. going to get someone to die on TV again next year? And it's like Scrooge 2, for, you know, in, in, in memory of Frank Cross. You know, just, there you go. Now we've done, This is why we need a workshop, you know what I mean? Exactly. Oh, Jesus good. and Frank Cross in Double Cross, <laughs> Scrooge 2. <laughs> double Cross, that's brilliant. Featuring 34 minutes of Bobcat Golf with. Is he just fucking the director? So how is he? How is he in this movie so much like his character does nothing it's so stupid in it, I know. but it is fun but, like i said you just have to enjoy it you have to just sit back and enjoy it so yeah man i mean look my, my final thoughts about this is uh because we've got these next two tear jerker movies coming up um this is about as kind of saccharine as i can get in my christmas movies without it like just breaking me like I, i'm already trying to mentally prepare myself to get through a podcast talking about it's a wonderful life without actually tearing up like it's hard <laughs> fucking that movie does me in so much like so this is if you're looking for a movie that's kind of cheeky kind of satirical kind of dark but it's okay it's got a happy ending even the homeless guys there is a happy ghost at the end it's all gonna be okay um you know this is this is your this is your film if you love bill murray this is very much your film in fact you know as duncan alluded to earlier it's basically the blueprint for groundhog day which yes. is groundhog day groundhog, groundhog day is a better movie though movie yeah 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 i totally agree <laughs> um but yeah but, but you know ultimately Ultimately, if you want to see Bill Murray be a piece of shit and be very funny while doing it, but learn a lesson and then be a nice charismatic guy at the end, a la Groundhog Day, and you've not seen this, this is fucking perfect. And it, it, it's it got a nice Christmassy vibe to it. It's a, it's, it is a, a solid, very solid high seven uh, that could have been uh, a, a lot better if it you know just falls short of true greatness. But uh, if you've never seen it, it's a must watch, I think. I think it's very memorable and like has a lot of great lines. But as I said, I don't think it really stuck the landing for me. And I really wish it would have just committed to the satire bit because at the end, the ending just feels like a worse version of a Christmas Carol in many ways and a less sincere version, which maybe it was going for, but it wasn't clear. And so I think that knocks it down just a bit for me, but I still think it's very memorable. I still think it's enjoyable. I still will watch this movie again at some Christmas in the future. For sure. 